Dr. Herdovich, finally, I've seen the vehicle driving around. I have, my mother has pestered you. Um, I've read some books. You actually dropped off some books at our barn at the gate. Right. And we read those uh, on YouTube. But to sit down with the superintendent of the Lake Wells Charter School System, it's my honor. Thank you for joining me on Beyond the Curve, my curiosity podcast. And sitting down with me to talk about the Lake Wells Charter School System. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate being here. And uh, you are a busy man. And to get the time, uh, I'm going to use it wisely. We're going to talk about the READ20 program. We're going to talk about your your physical fitness, some of your history at uh, the different colleges and universities that you attended, and how you ended up in education. Because I always have been interested in what drives people to go that path. So... Um, first of all, how is the beginning of the school year going? It's been fantastic so far. We have a convocation uh, where it is more of a pep rally for adults, mm -hmm. and we bring in our cheerleaders, our band, uh, have excellent uh, flash mob dances. We brought in a DJ this year. Okay. We had several activities. We'll be releasing a little hype video for it, but uh, we just want to show that uh, this is a great place to work. It's a great place to teach. It's a great place for children to attend school. Yeah, it's and it's it's growing. It it's is growing, and I think we're going to talk about that a little later, maybe towards the end. We're going to talk about that that growth and and the educational side of things because we're growing. Right, we're we're growing. Um, let's dive into a little bit of the origin story. First, before you were Doctor Wayne Radovich, you were Wayne Radovich, right? And you went to college. And you are definitely athletic. We've seen the videos of you working out. We've seen the pictures. What did you do in college athletically? And what were you studying when you went to college? Well, uh, initially, and I'm going to back up before college. Okay. Because when I was in high school, there was a great lesson that I learned from my father. When I was 15 years old, my father ran a seafood factory in Biloxi, Mississippi, on the point in Biloxi. Name that seafood company was Kooja Seafood. I have a picture of it in my office, Okay. Uh, that dock that I worked on. And the thing was, we had to get up at 3.30 in the morning. We had to be at work at 4. And I would basically shovel shrimp from 4 o'clock in the morning till 6 or 7 during season. And then I would do that every day, six days a week, sometimes on Sunday. And I was also playing sports at the time. My father didn't put the same value in the sports that he put into me getting a good work ethic. So I would have to leave from work, go to the YMCA, jump the fence, go in a back door so I could get my workouts in every day. So he really pushed me to uh, work beyond the work. Mm -hmm. And so I also keep a shrimp shovel and a pair of white boots in my office because it reminds me of all the lessons that I've learned there. And it's amazing what a logistics operation a shrimp, a shrimp factory is yeah. because you actually process a raw thing. It's almost like agriculture. You uh, size it, then you uh, preserve it, then you put it on a truck, and you ship it. Yeah. And so there are so many variables that associate with all other aspects of life, no matter what business you're in. But it's a logistics operation, and it's something that I think is super important. And you never know that you're learning all these skills while you're actually in the moment. Yeah. It's only when you get older that you can appreciate all the great things you learned back in those days. Um, was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College to play football. They had just won the national championship the year before. I got to play for George C. Cool and Clem Dellinger, both of whom are Hall of Fame junior college coaches. Uh, I played running back. Uh, my freshman year, 
Uh, they had no limit on rosters, so you'd have as many as 100 kids out there in the spring. Mm -hmm. But then they cut it back to a 55-man roster uh, my freshman year. Whenever we actually started playing, it was a 55-man roster. So making that team was difficult. Uh, but we, I was able to make the team, uh, played a lot of blocking back that year. My sophomore year, I was able to start at halfback and ended up leading the team in rushing, and we won a state championship and the East Bowl, and also led the team for running backs and receiving. So I got to learn there that while you're not the most talented player, that if you're diligent in your workouts and that you learn not to drop the ball when it's thrown your way and you don't fumble the ball when you carry it, that you're going to get a lot more use out of it. And trust me, the guys that I played with were tremendous athletes. Could really, some of them could really fly. And because of injury and different things that happened during the season, I was able to get a lot more carries than I normally would have got that year. Yeah. After that, I got an opportunity to play at Delta State University, which was a teacher's college uh, back in the old okay. days. So education became the thing. And in the middle of me playing community college football, my family lost everything. And I actually had to drop out of school for a semester to go home and help my parents so we could save our home. Uh, after that, my mother insisted that I go back to school uh, Don Skelton at Delta State University offered me an opportunity. I'm under the assumption that, hey, we just won a state championship. We won the East Bowl. I'm the leading rusher and receiver. I'm going to go up there to Delta State and star. Whenever my mother drove on campus with my dad, she said, Wayne, you're not going to be playing with those guys, are you? I said, yeah, I am. She goes, they're all so much bigger than you are. I said, hey, I just got to make it. Because back in those days, I was 200 pounds. Uh, but uh, probably the best five years of my life because I got to experience real poverty in the Mississippi Delta so mm -hmm. I could understand what really being poor looked like. Um, I got to interact with some super talented teachers and professors and they just drove me. And the greatest thing was I couldn't go home every weekend and hang out with my friends mm -hmm. and I didn't have a vehicle because we had just lost everything. So I was basically trapped in the Mississippi Delta on Saturday and Sunday with nothing to do. So I spent all my time when I wasn't in the weight room in the library. And I would get a cubicle in the library and I would just study and study and read and read and that's all I did. Yeah. Uh, because that's how I passed my time. But there. why that direction versus, because I went to college and I, was, I couldn't come home. I, I was up in North Carolina and I could have also gone a different direction. But why did, instead of going out with your friends and hanging out, you decided, hey, I'm gonna read. And I'm going to learn. Well, I what mean, was the drive on that? It's just because I, I just had, my father had a great love for learning. My mom and dad both were GED graduates. My mother got very ill her senior year. Whenever she was going to school back in the mid '60s, if you had to leave school, you didn't go back. Yeah, you got your GED and went to work. That's what she did. She ended up as a middle manager in the grocery business and did very well for herself. My father dropped out of school. I think in the tenth grade, he got his GED in the National Guard. So, uh, but my father was a voracious reader and he could do anything. We built a den and a dining room onto our house. He did all the wiring. He did all the, uh, yep. all the construction. And I was right there with him. I was his helper. And um, he just knew so much about so many things. And he was a great collector of things. He collected movie soundtracks. So from the time we were little kids, my brother and I, we would go in our den and we would listen to movie soundtracks, rock and roll, all those things. And so I'm a huge fan of Ennio Marconi, 
uh, John Barry, all the classic soundtrack writers. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and just it's just something that became embedded in me. So I, had, I, I gathered an appreciation for not necessarily needing the paper degree to get really mm -hmm. uh, knowledgeable about different things. And so I would just read, if something interested me, I'd just read all about it. The example would be Steve Jobs. I've probably read every magazine article. I've actually got those preserved and um, <clears throat> books that are written. Isaacson's book was great about Steve Jobs. It told the truth about him, I yeah. think, because it told the good and the bad. Yep. But at the end of the day, he's a tr he created a trillion-dollar business out of a garage. And uh, out of things that we actually didn't need until he gave them to us. Right. And he actually <laughs> created the first iPhone because he went with his friend, Wozniak, and read a manual in the guts of a library. And that's how they figured out how to build the first iPhone, when yeah. they were making these free long-distance calls. So, you know, I just think reading is just an essential element in everything you do. And it really doesn't matter what your education level is. If you're a great reader, you got a chance. I'm, I'm more impressed. You've, you've talked, hit on so many things, which before we started, we talked about possibly doing this on a quarterly basis because there's no way we're covering all this today. Logistics management. You learned that at an early age with the shrimp. You also learned hard work. And then you learned what it was like to leave home and be okay. It's tough. There's a lot of these kids in our area that they don't even go to the beach, which is an hour and a mm -hmm. half away. And that expand, you learn when you leave. You also learn when you leave. Um, your reading, your desire to learn. And all that ties into you learned so many facets of life just by doing those menial tasks. When mom says, hey, I want you to go out and mow the yard, and she comes out and she says, that looks nice, put that in the memory bank and say, oh, I did good work today. Mm -hmm. Did I enjoy doing that? Maybe that's something I can do because you also touched on you learned your parents both were GEDs. My best friend graduated high school, had no desire to go to college, and I can tell you right now, He's doing well. He works for one of the largest employers in the county. He's on the verge of retirement. And he never, he learned. He learned, got the education he needed. And I just think that is something you don't hear that much coming from someone who's in education saying, you can learn without always having to have the paper. Right. And is that where, it, it, okay, let's, I don't want to get too far ahead. So you've made it to Delta State. Did you play? Did yes, you get to play? I did. Okay. Uh, I actually was more of a special teams guy, mm -hmm. but I actually got to play against Southern Mississippi. Oh, okay. And the prediction was they were going to blow us out. Brett Favre was actually his senior year as a quarterback, but he had gotten in a car wreck that year, so he was unable to play. And we had a defensive tackle named Tim Edwards who played for the New England Patriots, uh, who just devastated the offensive line at Southern Miss, and we ended up losing 12 to nothing. Oh. But the interesting thing was they had a uh, linebacker that I played against in college, and we had beat them on the last play of the game. And had I not altered my path to score the touchdown, I would have been laying on the five-yard line because he destroyed the back that was leading the way into the hole. <laughs> and I just broke in another direction because I could feel it coming. And, uh, but he wasn't a great one-on-one -on -one cover guy. And so I ran a seam route straight up the middle from the fullback position I'm wide open at Southern Miss in my backyard. 
and the quarterback throws it through the uprights. And I'm like, man, I could have been a legend if you'd have just thrown that pass to me. Uh, of course, the other thing would happen when I was been exposed for my lack of speed because I'd have caught on like the 50 and got caught on like the 30, even though I had met the green grass in front of me. So were you more of a power back versus a slasher? Uh, well, I actually had it with a combination of both. Okay. Um, I, um, but I wasn't, a, I, I'm nothing exceptional about my yeah. football. It was hard work. Yeah. I, I worked really hard. I was a real big-time backyard football player. We had a place called the Broadwater in Biloxi, and it was actually a marina grass area that was outside the marina. And so every kid from the Gulf Coast that played football would play outlaw football there every weekend. And I got uh, associated with the Brill brothers, three brothers from Biloxi who were just tough guys. And we all teamed up, so we kind of built our own little Gulf Coast team, and we used to travel around playing outlaw football with fraternities against uh, University of South Alabama, we'd go over, we played a group from the Air Force, and typically we'd have to give them some of our players so they could finish the game, because yeah. it was a brutal game. Uh, but that was another great proving ground for us, and it was a great place to build relationships, and that's what we built great friendships, and those I still talk to those guys today. I've seen some of your pictures of people that you associate with when you're either in the gym or traveling, and I find that, I find that so appealing as your educational process was also a mentoring process of meeting people that you still talk to and probably learn some things from through that process. So you're in college. The educational process has been happening for a long time. And I've always, I was in education college for 20 years, and I always told my players, you're in college to learn to learn. I don't care what you get your degree in, unless you want to be a doctor or a lawyer. Or, you're there to learn how to learn processing data you need, putting out data you don't, especially if you're an athlete or a musician or a, a, an artist, you also are creating your, your thought processes are maturing. So while you're there, the teacher's college, my dad went to Appalachian State, which was at the time back in those mm -hmm. days, also a teacher's college. And he wanted to get a physical education degree. That's what he wanted to do. So you're there at Delta State, the wheels are spinning, education, teacher's college. What, 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 what are you thinking about now? Well, I'm thinking about the future, and my future was going to be in college coaching and um, strength, and co uh, strength coordinating. Okay. Uh, but that was my forte. What, what made you love that? Just because I had done it since I was 12 years old. I grew up in a very rough neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Parchman as the prison in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. On my street, there were uh, three guys who went to Parchman, uh, and five guys that were regular in and out of jail, drugs, thieves, all that. I had a little brother, so I started boxing and lifting weights at a very early age, much before my peers. And if you remember the DP weights, the plastic weights mm -hmm. from Kmart, yeah, yeah. we would load all those weights up onto those little flimsy bars, yeah. and I, that's all I did was trained, boxed, ran, played sports, and I always stayed away from that group of guys. And, of course, I had to fight them a lot because I had a little brother. And uh, we built a respect for each other over time, but their lifestyle ended up landing them in prison. One of them actually murdered someone. Mm. Uh, and so um, I wanted to make sure that that wasn't the path I was going to follow and that my brother never had to worry about anybody bothering him. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that really drove a lot of my mentality as I moved into the, you know, moved into school. And when I got to school, um, I got to meet just smart people. I mean, and I look, everybody that I get to know, 
I'm usually it's a I'm gonna ask them a thousand questions about what they do to where it'll drive them crazy. Um, I was on a uh, Hall of Fame trip at Delta State University with another man named Drew Fiorinelli. He's a logistics expert, and he was mm -hmm. explaining to me about voxels and how you're gonna have. Yeah, you have roads and highway system. You're going to have a highway system in the sky. And there's these, and I think it was voxels that you have these different levels, altitudes that yeah. these drones are going to fly at for commerce. And I was just fascinated by that. And so he and I have maintained a friendship over LinkedIn for, you know, since we met two or three years ago. Uh, but I'm just fascinated by human beings and yeah. the things that they're capable of accomplishing. And, and I, I celebrate accomplishment of other people. I think that's a great thing. When I give you a prime example, and this is probably a worn out example, Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. When Tom Brady initially retired, I was very disappointed. Uh, I don't get into the personal lives of other human beings, but I, I try to look clinically at what they do. Yes. So he's just a few yards away from being a 100,000 yard man. He'd be the only 100,000 yard man in the history of the game who's wow. thrown for 100,000 yards. Wow. But he was a little bit short of it. So he comes back and plays last season and he breaks the 100,000-yard threshold. That's playoffs and regular season included. Mm -hmm. But between that and his achievement level, uh, Nick Saban, uh, I've followed Nick. Nick Saban is Croatian. I'm Croatian. Oh, really? Bill Belichick is Croatian. Okay. And so I try to tell people that all three of us are the most accomplished people. <laughs> and I'm being funny, but I mean... But Don't forget about Djokovic. Yeah, well, and not just Djokovic, <laughs> but, the, but the whole... The whole Croatian culture, though, we have dads who are really hard on us. Yes. And have high expectations. And I know dads in all cultures have the same way they raise their children. But our dads can be exceptionally tough on us mm -hmm. about doing the work. And I'll give you an example of doing the work. When I was very young, we'd have a sink full of dishes. And my dad would say, you and Jake, go wash the dishes. So I would count out the exact number of dishes that was my share. And I'd wash my share and I'd go sit on the couch. And this only happened once. And uh, my dad said, why are you sitting down? I said, well, I did my half. He goes, there is no half. Until the job is finished, you don't sit down. Help your brother. And so I had to get back up and help him. Never had to learn that lesson a second time. Right. And so those are the profound things that happen to you that mark your life for the rest of your life. And so I'm always in search of what is that one thing that's going to stick with other people that's going to help them to improve the quality of their life. And that's why I'm in education. Okay. And... and Again, there's so many things. I, I hope I, I, t I told your your assistant, hey, I'm giving this, like we're going to post this, but if there's stuff that you feel like is good, pull that out, put those snippets, because there's been multiple things you've said today that, one, you grew up in a tough environment. You So I thought you can empathize with what you see on a daily basis. You can also empathize with the success of being good and what that, because you were good, but you weren't the best, and then you wanted to get better. Hey, it's awesome. You're doing a great job. Okay, now get back in the gym. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, you made a B on that test. Fantastic. Can you make an A? Can you, can you make an A? And I think you also are, because of where you came from and what you had to do, sometimes you might be second string. And that's the best you can be. But you can still be a valuable part as the second string person. Mm -hmm. Be that. Be the best second string that you can be. Don't be mad that you're second string. Better yourself. And, and those things that you're talking about. I'm, I'm sitting here and all I'm like, 
this is because co- I was a coach. That's what I did. My, my life was coaching, getting people to do things they didn't think they could do mm-hmm. or realizing they didn't want to do them and there was something else they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so you've, you realized you wanted to be in education. How far did you get in Delta State before you went on to the next parts? Because we are still Wayne Rodolfich at this point. We're not doctor. Right. So how did we, where well, did we I got, go? I got my associate's degree at the Gulf Coast Community College. And by the way, Appalachian State, we played Lees McRae for the East Bowl. I went to Lees McRae. We played them in the East Bowl at uh, Appalachian State University. We had to borrow our turf cleats from the University of Southern Mississippi. And they made fun of us because we only had 38 players left out of that 55-man roster that were standing at the end of that JUCO season. I don't know if you know anything about JUCO football in Mississippi, but it's very tough. Yes. A lot of D1s are coming down to get rehab to go back to uh, D1. And uh, we went to the banquet the night before. And Lee McCray had 111 kids on their football team. They had kids with double-numbered jerseys. They had the same number jerseys. And uh, the coaches from Leeds McCray, they were 11-0 and 0 or 12-0, and 0, and they were talking about, oh, we're so glad this little team from Mississippi Gulf Coast came up here to play us and all. <laughs> and we're just sitting there and said, we can't wait till we get on the field tomorrow. And so we took their little, you know, they had a, like a plaid, green and yellow. Yep. We took all their uh, tablecloths and we wore them as our sweat rags the next day. And we ended up beating them 14-13 to 13 in the closing seconds of the game. We won the state championship the same way. But it was just just a great trip, and uh, we, we learned a lot going to Leeds McRae. We have something in common. I went to Leeds McRae my freshman year of college, and uh, we actually went to the East Bowl that year as well, and we played in the Dome at East Tennessee State. That's where that game was held, because when I went to Leeds McRae, it was still a junior college transitioning into a four-year institution, yeah. um, and uh, that was also one of those experiences. I went there with the intention of staying for four years, going through the transition, and had some issues with scholarships. I, I did nothing wrong. The philosophy of the school changed mm-hmm. in between freshman and sophomore year. My father was a coach at college and said, come home and play for me. So for three years, I played for my father at Weber after I left Lee's McRae. So I understand that father-son bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You've hit on a lot of things that have brought back a lot of memories for me of I'm one of the few people I played for my father, was coached by my father, worked with my father. My father was my boss. <laughs> and it's like I've gotten to do all of those through that life. So And nobody knows how hard it is to have your father as your boss because no. in those shrimp factory days, if we would shut down one half of our docks and my dad would say, okay, half of y'all are going home. Well, on a Saturday in Biloxi, everybody's going to the beach. They're going out and having a good time. And uh, he would say, everybody's going home except for you, Wayne. And then he'd pick out several other people. But there was never an early out for me. Yeah. And there was another time, shoveling shrimp is very difficult. And so you would shovel into a 210-pound barrel. And so you would have to fill that barrel. They'd raise it out of the hole and all that. Now they use a vacuum system to do it much easier, but it tears up the shrimp cut, messes up your count. But um, I'll never forget, I'd shoveled 15 barrels of shrimp off one boat. And my dad comes down the dock and he goes, who shoveled that last boat? I said, well, I did. He, I said, we got another 15 barrel of shrimp on the next boat. He goes, who's shoveling that? And, he, and somebody said, oh, that's so-and-so. And he goes, no, they're not doing it. Wayne, you do it. I want to get out of here today. So he put me right back in the boat, even though it wasn't my turn. But that's dads and how they yeah. deal with their sons. Yep. 
uh, no excuses for us. Yep. And, and I like being raised that way. Yep. It, it's funny. It teaches, you, uh, it, it teaches you things that you don't know you've learned. But I'm 51 now, and I see my daughter, who's getting ready to turn 21. And the lessons that she has and the appreciation she has are from the lessons that I learned that I passed on mm-hmm. to her. And it's like, hmm, some of the stuff we didn't even say. Yeah. We watched last night, we watched the Ted Lasso dart and being curious, not judgmental. And we were talking about that. And I'm like, I've got something for you for this. And she sat there in awe watching this, my 21-year-old daughter sitting on the couch watching that with me. And it was like, we just had a moment. Yeah. And you don't forget those things. Yeah. And she's not going to forget that, that lesson. So Delta State, you got your associates from Mississippi Gulf Coast Community, Gulf Coast College. Community College. And I got my bachelor's, and then I did back-to-back master's in two years. Ooh. So I went straight through and did two master's degrees. They offered me an opportunity to go ahead and do my doctorate. At Delta? And, yeah, and my okay. father said, no, you need to come home and go to work. Uh, so while I was doing that, I had written a book about training because I wanted to integrate logistics into training because quality control was an issue in our weight room. Okay. And when I say quality control, I mean that if you can get your most talented athletes to do the same amount of work, and I'm not saying that your most talented athletes don't do the same amount of work. Michael Jordan's an exception. You know, all these mm-hmm. guys are just drive the rest of the guys. But I watched some really good players who didn't always give everything they had, so I'd always been building a framework in my brain of how do I get everybody to train at the same level at the same time with the same number of reps where there's nowhere to hide. So I created a system of training that's been used, and I didn't, I'm not the originator of it, but I adapted yeah. it to what we did, but it's the first man, first set. So we would get 16 stations that were exactly alike. You put first man would be the lifter, Second man would be the spotter. Other guy would be the loader. So you just rotate roles every time. But you'd say first man, first set, exercise. So everybody in that weight room is doing squats. And you're counting out the squats. Mm -hmm. Second man, first set. Third man, first set. There was no escape. Then you move into your second phase. After you get off core lifts, you go to auxiliary lifts. So now we're all going to do trap pulls for 12s. And everything was always 12s, high reps with those. We're going to do 12 curls. Sometimes we do 12 three-by-threes where you do top, bottom, and full. Mm -hmm. But it was three exercises. Then we went to the actual gut check phase of the training system, which is behind me here, uh, the gut check um, creed. So on the final thing, we would do push-ups, we would do calf raises, but we'd finish up with crunches. So at the end of that cycle of training, everybody in that room could do 1,000 crunches. And then I can still do that today. A thousand crunches. And so my thing is building that mindset that it doesn't matter what comes my way, I'm going to be successful. I'm not giving up. Mm -hmm. You're not going to make me quit. So I have a lot of those alumni that I still keep in touch with. Andrew Caprari, Richard Crosby, Nathan Grace, Gabe Joy. I mean, I can go down the list. These are all guys that were powerlifters for me as well. And the way we structured that was, it's like I told you the story about my dad with washing dishes. Mm -hmm. It's two separate trainings. When you're training for muscular endurance and cardiovascular endurance, because if you think about the game of football, that's 80 repetitions a game. If you play both ways, you've got to burst 80 times a game with greater intensity every time. Mm -hmm. So when you're playing powerlifting, that's a single lift max. So we did our regular workout first, and then after that I'd take my powerlifters and we'd do our singles, triples, fives, uh, so we could build that in. But that was the origin of the gut check training system. And we had a three, a four, and a five-day split that we did. 
And so I worked with these kids, and they ended up winning the first state championship in the history of our high school. Uh, and that was my second job. My first job, I worked for Termy Land, and I wanted to tell you two stories about Termy Land. Okay. First of all, Termy Land introduced me to what a blue wolf was. And he taught me two of the greatest lessons I've ever learned. And remind me about the flu after I tell you the first one because I never okay. forget it because I get excited about it. My father was very ill while I was in graduate school. Pillow Academy offered me an opportunity. And Pillow Academy, if you're familiar with Ole Miss football, Stuart Patridge was our quarterback. He played quarterback at Ole Miss and actually had the records before Eli got there. Okay. So uh, Stuart was our quarterback, and we played um, – uh, North AAA private school football in Greenwood, Mississippi. I'd have to drive an hour a day to get there. Ooh. And um, my father was very, very ill, and they were going to surgically replace part of his jawbone because he had cancer on it. And um, I was really down that day, and we had a break. And during the break, I went and sat off to the side while the kids were getting water, and I just laid back on the field and just looked at the sky. And I heard Coach Land say, Wayne, get over here. Now, I was much bigger than all these men. I was just finished playing running back in college and was an avid weightlifter. And he goes, I need to talk to you for a minute. He had all the coaches around. He goes, look. He goes, you ever seen a blue wolf? I said, I haven't, coach. He goes, why are you laying down over there? I said, well, my father's in a real bad way. He's having surgery, and I'm just, I'm just really, he goes, Wayne, nobody cares. When you made the commitment to step on this field with these children, you said you were going to be here to be there for them. To coach them, I need 100% of Wayne's intensity out here. I'm sorry that your dad's not doing well, but if you're going to come out here, you got to do the job at the level I want it done every day. I said, yes, sir. Never got upset. I said, you know what? You're right. I am out here. I'm collecting a check for what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I have to exercise the thing that this man's asked me to do because I'm working for him. That was number one. The second great lesson that he taught me was I got the flu in my second year there. And I was very sick. I'll just, we'll leave it at very sick. Yeah. And I'm an hour away in my dorm room, very sick. Got the fever, head stuffed up, you know, all the things that go with the flu. And um, I call him and say, hey, coach, am I going to be at practice today? I said, I'm real sick. And he's like, o okay. He goes, I really don't like people missing practice. You know, we could figure something out for you. I said, oh, I, said I am telling you, I am deathly ill. All right, well, I hope I see you tomorrow. I'm like, which means you better be at work tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So a couple, couple of days later, I go out to practice, and I have to drive in every day. And I look out there, and there was a scaffold they had rented that's about 20 feet off the ground. Coach lands up in the scaffold. He steps to the back of the scaffold and hacks off the back of the scaffold. And I said, oh, Coach wants to get a different view of our offense today. He wants to see how that trips and all is working. And they said, no, Wayne, he's got the flu, but he's not going to miss practice. <laughs> oh. And so from oh. that point on, there was no being sick. Yeah. I was going to be at practice whenever I was coaching sports. I think, I think you hit a couple things. I, honestly, I'm just in awe. I'm, 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 I feel like I'm sitting here silent, but I'm just in awe. Uh, you talked about you know, no one cares. And I think some people think that's just so hard. No, it's not hard. Actually, they really care. They do care. They care more than you probably think they care. But they don't care that you're not dealing with it. You need to deal with it. They want to care for you. They care that your dad was sick. They really care. But you made a commitment, and they need you to do your job. And I think some people think, like when you say, because I've used that line before, no one cares. 
No one cares. Well, I'm really, I, I had a big test. I had, I had, no one cares. Mm -hmm. We have to go win this match or we're not qualifying for nationals or we're not doing. And, and I, I've told that to friends. I've told that to associates. No one cares. We all care, but no one cares. Right. And I think that's, that line, people think when you say that line, as the superintendent, no one cares. Well, actually, yeah, I care a lot, but I hired you. I allowed you to come to this charter school, to go to school here. So I care, but you need to come do your job, whether that's, whether that's the, 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 the lunch lady, whether that's the bus driver, whether that's the student, or whether that's the teacher. Yes, I care. I really care because I brought you here. But I don't care what you're going through because I brought you here to do the job. Right. And I think people get that misconstrued. And, and I never, I'm always, my wife tells me sometimes, you're so brutally honest. And sometimes the message doesn't come out properly. Mm -hmm. And I think for someone like you who's been through that, like you have a story that most people probably think, oh yeah, it's Dr. Wayne, it's Dr. Rodolphus, he just doesn't care listen to the story and there's so much empathy and growth that's been in there that you just don't put up with the yeah well and, and, and again in defense of coach land the, the, i may have been not uh, had enough enthusiasm at the level he wanted it that day on top of everything yeah. else but that i think for him was the last straw and he said I, I have to teach this young man it was my, my second year coaching with him and uh he was, he, and it, whenever it came time to do work, like in those days, we used to lie in the fields, we used to cut the grass, yep. we used to water the fields, we did all that. That was part of your job as a coach. And so every time he did that, he would say, Rodolphus, you're going with me. He'd always bring me with him. And, and I would say, Coach, I'm glad you brought me with him. And he goes, why is that? He goes, because I know you know I want to work. And he's like, I do. Yeah. He goes, I do, and I want to train you to work. So that, that brutal honesty from him was – was good and it wasn't brutal for me. A lot of people are like, well, you get offended over that. I'm like, I don't, I don't really get offended over many things yeah. because I compartmentalize what, what the real source of it is. And, you know, my dad's situation was a futile situation. He did survive that uh, event. Uh, I was way far away from him, but my dad's still with me today. He's with me all in this office. Everything you see here mm -hmm. uh, is, is for my dad to say, okay, son, because I'm always trying to prove myself to my father. Well, you, you talked about that compartmentalization. And you had said that with Tom Brady. And you don't get into the... Per I have caught more flack as a fan of Tiger Woods as a golfer. And people are like, I don't know how you can like him. Well, he's... During my time period, he was the world's best golfer. I don't care. I'm not... I didn't ask for marital advice from Tiger Woods. Mm -hmm. Or relationship advice. Golf course management, building a golf course, and winning majors. The commercial that he did with American Express where he was practicing in the rain. That wasn't fake. He actually used to go practice in the rain mm -hmm. to see what it was like to play in the rain. As an athlete, I can learn from that. Yeah. But you have to be smart enough to realize you can take something from everybody. What's the old, you'll appreciate this as an educator, the two kids that have the same dad, the dad's an alcoholic, one kid becomes successful, one kid becomes an alcoholic or in jail. Well, why did you become that? Well, my dad was an alcoholic. Why did you become this? My dad was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. 
you learn, you can choose what lessons you want to learn. I wanted to learn from Tiger Woods how you become a great athlete. Yes, I mocked him when he had his marital problems. But the athletic side of his life, Michael Jordan, we all love Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was a gambler who may have gotten his father killed. But we celebrate Michael Jordan, the athlete. Yep. There's a, no level. There's Well, there's a certain tenacity that they possess um, athletically. And, and I'll give it to Tom Brady the same way. Yeah. You can't beat him. Yeah. You'll never mentally beat him. Even when you beat him, you're not beating him. He's, he's still figuring out how am I going to get make the next move. Well, anybody that goes on vacation and eats healthy while they're on vacation is a different <laughs> breed of person. Yeah. So And for, does it for 46 years. Yes, yes. Because I've had my ups and downs without being a pro athlete. Yes, yes. So you've gotten two masters. You're now working. You're still learning lessons, which I think for the education side of things, the lessons never stop. Right. The lessons never stop. You've finished school. And you're now working and being taught lessons. Right. So where do we go from there? Well, I went to, uh, I actually started out at Van Cleef High School. It was my first year as a teacher. And then I went to St. Martin High School, which was my uh, hometown okay. school. It's where I went to school. Played running back and linebacker there. And uh, So you're a hero. You go back, you're now a hero. Well, I don't know about all that. I just, I know that uh, I had good a good uh, time while I was there as far as the way people viewed how I was as a child. Mm -hmm. I tried to do everything right. I was a terrible student in high school. Terrible. And part of why I have this push that I have now is because there's so many things I didn't know that I should have probably known. And I think we're a lot more attuned to that in the modern era. But I think we struggle more academically than we did in that time. Yeah. But um, So I got to work with Kim Letart, who was actually a hometown hero. He was a quarterback that was just unbelievable. Okay. Super athlete. Probably the best athlete to ever come through St. Martin is also one of the best people you ever want to meet. But I got to work for Kim Letart, but I also worked for a man named David Oaks. So listen to this from a mentor standpoint. I got to play for George C. Cool and Clem Dellinger. Both were Hall of Fame coaches. They won multiple state championships, two national titles as JUCO coaches. I left there, went to Delta State University. Our coach there, Don Skelton, actually won the, uh, beat the team that won the Division II national championship in the year that they won it. And um, then I got to play for Tony Land. I went to his Hall of Fame induction ceremony in the MAIS in Mississippi, the private school association. Then I got to play for Kim Letart, who's a Hall of Famer at the St. Martin High School. Uh, David Oaks, who's my new coach, was a Hall of Fame coach for the state of Mississippi. So when you think about the wisdom and the luck yeah. that I had with all these people who were Hall of Fame caliber people, that's who was training me on how do you get really good at what you do. Mm -hmm. So I started broke. I broke off into two paths. I was a football coach. I coached soccer. Started their program there. Uh, started a powerlifting team. Didn't start the powerlifting team, but took over the powerlifting team, and it was an unpaid job. We went to four. We won four district championships, three South State championships. Was a state runner-up in two state championships and won a state championship. The 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 thing was we had to compete 4A and 5A. We're a 4A school. Mm. So when all my kids were sophomores, they lost by uh, two points to Grenada. When we were juniors, we won the state championship. And when we were seniors, I had to leave one of my players home because he got in trouble. And we lost the state championship by one point to 5A uh, Madison Central, who had two more lifters than we did. And we still won five of the weight classifications. So over that period of time, we had 21 district champions, 17 South State champions, 
and 11 state champions individually. The school had never won a state championship before, so we were really building yeah. our whole world there. Um, then I uh, got married, had a daughter. Her name was Brianna. She's one of the, just a super talented musician. I put her on Facebook singing sometimes. Yeah. She writes her own music. She performs a lot. She works as a librarian. She just finished her degree from Mississippi State, and she's in graduate school at Mississippi State to become an English teacher. That is the number one thing in my whole life that I have the greatest amount of pride because I was a personal fitness trainer at Gold's Gym. I was a bouncer at the Bombay Bicycle Club, and I was a coach, strength and conditioning coordinator, and teacher at St. Martin High School all at the same time. Wow. And then I had this little girl come into my life, and I had an opportunity to go off and go to colleges and all these things, but whenever I took that responsibility on, I said, all this is over. The training, the working in the nightclub, I'm not doing any of that anymore. My focus is going to be on my daughter. And so I made a commitment. And my wife and I didn't make it. And so I went in the custody uh, agreement. I had my daughter Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday every week of the year. And so every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was Brianna's time. And I would not deviate from that. Mm -hmm. My wife, Suzanne, who I have four children with, dated me for eight years. And Brianna was part of our weekend every weekend. There was no dating on the weekend. We would date during the week. Yep. But on the weekends, it was Brianna's time. So uh, she also had the benefit of having music in her life. So she's an accomplished guitarist, singer. She can play the piano. But she's just a, just a beautiful kid. And uh, that's probably uh, degrees, championships, whatever we've accomplished. Uh, nothing tops my daughter, Brianna, and what we were able to do together. Did she want to go into education because of your path? She didn't want to go into education at all. She's 26 years old right now, and she, she called me bawling when she got admitted to the graduate school at Mississippi State University and told me that, Dad, I'm going to be an English teacher. I've fought it for so long, but this is what I was meant to do. And she currently runs a library uh, where she does all the children's programming, and it's wall-to-wall people yeah. in the library. When she because she also sings with them and does all types of stuff. That's awesome. But um, and I think I think that point right there. Do what you love, and allow yourself the time to figure out what that is. Yeah. Um, I I my my daughter ironically is Brianna, and she's turning twenty one, and since she was nine, it's been about horses. And like you, I, I had a lot of fun. And for 12 years, we shut everything down so that she could chase what she wanted to chase. Mm -hmm. That was what, and the funny thing is, is at 17 years old, she left to go do her thing with horses, not without mom and dad, because we had raised her to, this is what you want to do. Sometimes this is how you have to do it. Right. And she's come home for the next year to finish her degree. Um, because it's important to her to finish it, even though she's heavily involved in the equestrian world. But give yourself that time to figure out what you want to do. You don't have to rush. And I think, I think a lot of the kids, especially high school kids, and you deal with this a lot because you're in, you're in that environment. I think they feel like, I, I have to do this or I'm not successful. Mm -hmm. Dude, success, I'm 51 years old. I still don't know exactly what I'm trying. This right here, I love, I love, I'm so curious. And we own a real estate company. I own a barn. I've owned three different businesses. I was a college coach. 
I've been successful at all of them, but my buddy is getting ready to retire from a corporate job. He's also been successful. I think these kids, they, they, they get told so many things and it's like, dude, you can be successful. My dad was in college athletics for 37 years. He never made a million dollars, but he sure shaped a lot of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And I think we have lost sight of what success really is. And, and, and that success can be your happiness too. Mm -hmm. I'm more happy now doing this than I was when I was sitting at Geico handling claims. Yeah. I made more money doing well, that. There's a phrase associated with it for me that I tell to all of our students and as I tell everyone that the only limitation we have is the boundary of our ambition. However ambitious you are with the, towards the goal that you want to achieve, it all comes back to yeah. how ambitious are you about achieving that goal. And that means if I want to be the best athlete in the world, I can't roll out of bed and eat three bowls of cereal yeah. and then go back to sleep. I got to get up. I got to eat some egg whites. I got to eat a little bacon. And then I got to get on the trail of training. Yeah. And, and once you're there, you know, it's the same thing. But with that, with that being said, there's another aspect of it. Um, because there's two, two probably the most influential people in my life. Uh, my mother, one, because she was a worker. When I was in college after we had lost everything, when I was at Delta State, mm -hmm. she worked three jobs, and my brother worked, and they would send me a $20 bill every week. And wow. I lived off $20 split for seven days. They did everything they could to, to get that money to yeah. me. And so I would wait for that $20 bill to come, because that's a bag of hot fries on a Coke a day or something, you know, that you yeah, yeah. But it was something to treat yourself with. Uh, but my mother has set the greatest example of just that unbelievable work ethic and just, just tenacious drive to take care of her family. And, and all that comes back to us. Mm -hmm. uh, and my wife is a genius. And, and it's, I, she's the smartest person that I know. Uh, and, you know, we write newsletters together. Um, I write, I'll write the print and then she'll edit it to make sure everything's correct because we don't want to put an imperfect product out there. Yep. But we've done that in the last year. I think we did 76. We ended up winning um, National School Public Relations Award for our e-newsletter that we send out. Uh, actually, we won three. The Read 20 campaign won mm -hmm. as well. But, you know, those are the kind of things. Because what I'm doing is, and people say, why, do you, you know, why would you submit these works? Because I want to see what the national standard looks like with professionals looking at the work we're doing. Mm -hmm. And do we measure up? And that's all, all it is is validation for us. So are we doing it right? If not, what do we need to adjust? Because yeah. they send you back. Here's what you can change, fix, make better. Uh, and so, uh, but my wife is just an incredible mother to my children. I've got five children all together. Yeah. Every child is treated exactly the same. She's basically been with Brianna since she was three or four years old. Um, so, but, but the other thing is her high intellect has translated over to my children, who are also very intellectual, but... They're dancers, and so she sacrifices three nights a week, even though she works uh, online during the day, there's three nights a week that she doesn't get in until 10 o'clock because my children are at the elite stage of dancing. Now. Oh, yeah. And she's committed, just like with the uh, horses. What's it like being a dance dad? Uh, I really <laughs> haven't experienced it yet because most people don't approach me with it. Uh, I, I actually did my first dance dad okay. dance this year. Yep which I wasn't very good at. It was some pirate dance they made us do. And actually, they located me behind the curtain so no one could see how awful I was. And I, I say that because, I, I thank goodness, my daughter did gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And she 
got to the higher level of little kids. Right. But then she got into horses and dad didn't have to ride. But my brother-in-law, who's going to be retiring from the police force here September 1st, he was a dance dad. And he got drugged to the daddy-daughter dances. And mm-hmm. he did multiple years of dancing with his daughter. And, and I was like, kid, I don't really always enjoy what you do. But you didn't make me do that. Yeah. So I, 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 I only giggle because I just I didn't have to go through that. But I, I always appreciate the dads get out there and they do it. And, yeah. and you, you do that because you love your kids. Yeah. Like, you love your kids. And I, I find that awesome. But... So we have masters, you're teaching. How did we get, let's fast forward a lot because I want to touch these four things real okay. quick. How did you get here? Well, what, what led to here? Well, Brianna was the start of it because okay. I had to get serious about my life. I had been a coach, worked in the nightclub, um, been a personal trainer. I mean, I trained the Bud girls and the Eggermeister girls who did all the promotions. Yep. We had abs class. Believe it or not, I could, and I'll show you a picture later, but I, I was... Did I, I was the abs guy back then, and so I do all this training with all these different people. And um, but whenever, whenever I taken the full toll of how much football took out of me, I took coach for six years. Mm-hmm. It was every weekend, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I wasn't with my daughter. My mother was watching her. I wasn't going to be that person. Uh, so I said, I'm going to have to make an adjustment, and I'm going to move into my. I'm going to apply my administrative degree. So on a whim, my mother is in the grocery store and an assistant superintendent from another district's in her line. She goes, Susan, doesn't your son want to be an administrator? And she goes, yeah, well, we had a principal quit in the middle of the summer. He should apply. So I applied for the job, again, a life-altering experience. I go into my interview, and there's this 32-year-old guy that answers the door at Pascagoula High School. And I said, can you tell me where the principal is? He goes, I'm the principal. I'm Hank Bounds. Shake hands with him. Both of us are 32 years old, graduates of 85. Go into the interview. Now, remember, I'm still weightlifting and all yeah. every day. And uh, I ask him, can I take off my jacket for the interview? I'm not a jacket guy. So I take it off, and one of the ladies just <laughs> started fanning us. And I was like, because, you know, it's just, it just hilarious. Yeah. She's, and she's one of my dearest friends. But she just was like, uh, because I was a big man, and that's exactly what they were looking for. They needed someone to gain control of the hallways. Now, Hank was fully capable, but he was the principal, and they needed somebody to get in the hallways. The year before I got there, there had been 64 fights in the building. We had six the next year. We just And what we did was we just logistically corrected the issues that were happening that allowed that to happen. Isn't it funny you went back to logistics? Yeah, but it's all about and the same thing I'm implementing here in a lot of ways because we want to control every opportunity for there to be something bad to happen to the greatest of our ability. And I think that uh, Grady Judd and Chief Velasquez, Sheriff Grady Judd, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Chief Velasquez, they want us to you know, make their jobs a little easier by having better yeah. standards on our campuses. So we're working to achieve that. But um, Hank Bounds gave me my opportunity as an assistant principal. So I worked for three years. After three years, Hank Bounds became the state superintendent of Mississippi at 35 years old. I became the superintendent of our school district at 35 years, 30, no, 38 years old, 38 years old. Uh, so at 38, I became the superintendent. Um, in the midst of that, I had a Blue Ribbon High School, which is unheard of for the Pasquale School District. But my neighboring uh, school also was a Blue Ribbon and I actually worked with the guy who was the principal there. 
and he was part of my team as well. So we both had Blue Ribbon High Schools in the same year in 2005. Uh, that's an article from the Achiever newsletter up there. Okay. Uh, and I also was awarded the Terrell Bell National Leadership Award. They gave that to uh, four principals that year. I was the only secondary principal that got it. And got to go to Washington, D.C. and meet Margaret Spellings. And, um, and that was the same time that Katrina hit. The other part of that was in my first year as superintendent, Hurricane Katrina hit 29 days after I got the job. So not only was I taking on a district with uh, 11th largest district in the state with 17 schools, but then I had the devastation of Hurricane Katrina that wiped out my home, my wife's home, our whole community. Uh, mm -hmm. Two schools were destroyed and we had to rebuild. So I learned a lot about how to frame FEMA and all those things so that we could get the assets we needed to rebuild our district. Mm -hmm. It ended up being a blessing in disguise because we ended up netting $50 million out of the process. And we had old buildings that we were able to modernize every one of them. Yeah. Ceramic on the walls. Wasn't and, that kind know. of funny? You're doing that now with an old building that well, you're modernizing. We're trying. We've got to, get the <laughs> money. We've got to find the money. Yeah. Uh, yeah but that's but, it, be but you understand that process. Now. Well, and, and we, it served me well later because we built the Aaron Jones Family Reactive Center out of an old high school, which became a nationally recognized children's center that's still in existence today there. But uh, Katrina taught me a lot of lessons. And, and I'll give you another story about just the, being naive. Uh, Hank had become the state superintendent. He would go on to be the commissioner of the IHL for the state of Mississippi, mm -hmm. and then he would become the president of the University of Nebraska. So he has a very good, so let's go back to who your mentors are. Mm -hmm. Hank Bounds was my, one of my mentors. So <clears throat> anyway, but and even saying that and lessons learned, I'll never forget going into Hank's office and telling him when I didn't get a job that I thought I was going to get in the district. And I said, well, hey, I've made these contributions. And he goes, Wayne, I've done that whether you're here or not. And I said, okay. <laughs> humbled. I'm humbled, but yes. Yeah. Uh, but, but I never take those things. And people ask me, and I tell people all the time, it always looks like I'm losing. But I'm not. I'm just picking when I need to make a move on something. I'm, mm -hmm. not gonna, I'm just not going to waste all my energy on things that are just you know, off-the-cuff comments. Um, then, I, then the next year, he gave me a job out of school, the school we became a blue ribbon within three years. And when you talk about performance in schools, they have four subject area tests there. We passed 100% of our children passed the algebra, the biology, and the U.S. history test on the first attempt, and 95% on English. So when I took the job, I said, well, what, what, if, what if I fail? What if I don't do well as a principal? He says, failure is not an option. And so the ironic thing about that is, and this is crazy, um, Fred Hayes, who's on the Apollo 13 mission, went to Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. He was on the Apollo 13 mission as one of the astronauts. He lived two houses down from my dad growing up. And I used to tell people, you can go from junior college to outer space and become an astronaut because yeah. Fred Hayes did it. Well, Fred and I talked on the phone about his experience with the Apollo 13. And he told me that he had mentioned to Ron Howard at the premiere, hey, uh, you put some things in here that didn't really, he goes, Fred, have they seen how perfectly y'all reacted to the circumstance that you were in? There'd have been no drama to it. I had to make some drama in the movie. And, and, and my wife was in the cars at Bach Tower when I had this conversation with Fred Hayes. And uh, he said, Wayne, we trained so hard for everything that we did mm -hmm. that it was just a routine whenever we stepped through that manual. 
And so that's another of the lessons. And, and the whole procedures that we do, that was all developed while I worked with Hank Bounds. Uh, and it comes back to logistics in both cases. Mm -hmm. But all that was was, and, and I have to tell you, I think there's a divine um, aspect to all of it because it's like God places people before me in my most tumultuous times. And he says, here's your example of how to get through it. Uh, in church last weekend or two weekends ago, I had uh, Pastor Barry talking about cell phones and how when I first came in and said we weren't going to have cell phones, that people were upset and petitions and all. He goes, now the governor has banned cell phones in the classroom. He goes, but do you know how long it takes to get back on track of a, after using a cell phone? 26 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so Wayne was on to something. And, and the other thing was he told the story about building the wall and how everybody was coming after maybe Nehemiah while he was building the wall and he wouldn't come down off the ladder because he had work to do. And so all these people were attacking, but he's like, hey, until they pull me off the ladder, I got to finish building my, doing my project. Yeah. So, but it's just those little clues that you get uh, through time. But uh, became the superintendent there in just 17 years, was the longest superintendent in the history of the district, was able to pay off all of our debt, uh, renovate all of our schools, building career pathways. We became a district of innovation, um, all A and B schools, uh, A district, 90% graduation rate. Uh, just a tremendous amount of work. But we did most of our work beginning with early childhood, which we're trying to implement now here mm -hmm. uh, at a higher level than it's being implemented, uh, holding people accountable for bell-to-bell -bell instruction and changing pace, but also making sure that the kids are doing the work because they need to do the work if they're going to learn how to do things and yeah. not make it so much that the teachers are fully responsible because our students have to assume responsibility for their learning. Yeah, yeah. And, and I feel... And I, I feel sorry because I believe some of that battle is you can only do what you can do when you're in that environment and you can't go home with them. Right. And, and my, my wife was a teacher. My mother, obviously, was a teacher, still is a teacher in some way. Um, I was a teacher for a couple of years. I was in education. And there's so much that you can control while you're there. Right. And you can set the example. But man, it's hard to be the one good example when there's six or seven that aren't, mm -hmm. when they're there somewhere else. And, and I, I, I appreciate that battle. And I see the improvements and I see what's happening. And I, I have nothing bad to say. I just was like, man, sometimes I like to teach, you, you got to teach them while they're there. Mm -hmm. And then say, okay, I, I've, I've done it. Now let's come back tomorrow and we'll do it again. And you hope that they're the example that, they want to follow you're the example they want to follow right. and, and they can ignore but it's hard to divorce your it's hard to divorce your surroundings right but school is a vehicle for people to escape their circumstance mm -hmm. if they choose to do so everyone's afforded that chance the reason i make home visits is so i can better familiarize myself with what the community looks like and uh, the dire circumstances that children are in it's actually what motivates me to get back up and do it every day yeah we made a thousand and eighteen home visits last year. I know. I saw. I, I saw that and, was amazing. And for me, it's getting to ask parents, "What else can we do as a system to help your child be successful in our system?" Mm -hmm. There's never a "Oh, well, your kid needs to come to school," or "Oh, your kid can't read." We don't. That's not our style. Our style is to go in and say, "Appeal to parents. What can we do to help?" Yeah. Uh, and I give them all the material that they need from that. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's, a, it's it, time is the element, and, I, and I'll give you a quick reference to time, and I use it with my principals. 
if you give away, say, 40 minutes a day during a school day because, oh, they're tired or, oh, they, we're well, going to give them a break or, oh, you can get out your cell phone and play on your cell phone for 10 minutes if you do. When you start looking at that trade-off, and let's say you lose 40 minutes a day because mm -hmm. we don't start class on time or we end it too soon. You multiply that times 180 days in the year. That's mm -hmm. 180 times 40. You multiply that times 13 years. If you get all that time back and you apply that just to literacy, you'd have a much higher percentage of children who are reading on grade level mm -hmm. when they graduate compared to where we are right now. And that's what I'm trying to do now is again, it's a huge logistics operation, but it's about maximizing the time we have to teach children because based on my calculations here, we have between 12 and 15% of a student's awake day that we're able to actually teach them. Mm -hmm. We need every second of that time within our schools. And yeah. we need extra time with tutoring whenever possible. But we can't give away time. And time's an element you know you can't get it back. No. And you live as adults with the regret of what you could have done or should have done. And for me, I'm trying to give children a head start on, hey, do it. Yeah. Don't miss this opportunity. The window of... 17 to 21 when you actually really get to thrive in your sports life because let's face it one to two percent of children actually get to go play college of yeah. any kind so you've got that window don't squander the opportunity for that just great part of your life yeah you get the chance to do something that <laughs> uh, my buddy he told his son his son's a baseball player not the highest level but he plays college baseball and he told him he's like dude when you play your last game you're going to work, and you're done. Mm -hmm. Enjoy this, because his son was talking about maybe not playing, and he's like, go play. Because you're getting to play a game. You're getting education. Mm -hmm. You can quit, but as soon as you quit, you have to go to work. Mm -hmm. Go have fun. Play the game that you grew up playing. Enjoy it. Get your education, because that last pitch, last out, you're you're sitting in a chair or whatever you're doing. There's no next fall coming back and doing it again. You're 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 working, and it's a lot of people. I don't think they appreciate those those four five years that are available to them, um, and I don't think they all need to do it either. I think there's some that man, they just need to go learn what they're good at. Right. And I, I one of our friends. He's turned into one of the preeminent powder coaters. And it's like, hmm. And he's good. And he has a really good client base. And it's like, what you don't need to you don't need to go do this. You need to go do that. Mm -hmm. And you might need some education to help you run your business, but your talent is there. Your talent may not be in an accounting. You need to go do this. And I think that's where you guys get to lead. You get to see it, the teachers get to see it, and they get to see, I think one of the teachers did a, I went to the uh, entrepreneur thing that you had, that they had mm -hmm. at the art, the little kids getting the opportunity to show, and I thought it was awesome, and I'm mean. There were some kids there and some of their stuff wasn't selling. You learn about success and failure. Mm -hmm. I need to make my product better, or I need to do a better, that's hard, life's hard. They're learning it in elementary school. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with not getting a ribbon. Yeah, my oldest daughter, Jonna, makes earrings. 
and she wanted to be part of that, and we didn't get her signed up in time. Mm -hmm. But I told her, just continue to build your stock over the year. And she, they're very unique little earrings she makes, and she handcrafts them all. But again, it's entrepreneurial. She yeah. has her own brand. I had shirts made for her and her sisters. She's got her own group of people who work with her on it. Uh, and they're learning things that they wouldn't, but it's a learn by doing. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. And uh, speaking of teachers, uh, I just met with one of my principals this morning. And I was expressing to her just how smart and how accomplished our teachers are and our administrators are, their knowledge base. And, mm -hmm. and I have to give some of that credit to the state of Florida because they have a high bar for you to reach with all the trainings that you have yes. to endure. But the, and I, sometimes I think that we don't appreciate what we're actually getting out of that because I got my reading endorsement last year. Uh, and there's just another dimension that you're adding to yourself. But the fact that they require so many things requires you to be knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. But whenever it comes to the professionalism of our teachers, I've got to actually sit in class with some of them and be around them. But they're just incredible, some of the work that they're doing here. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, and I appreciate what they're doing. I want to make sure that we covered that today uh, and just how smart our principals have been. Yeah. Uh, I've been really, and I was amazed at how much they knew. And part of that may be part of being a charter. And they're a little bit more on their own, with less availability of some of the trainings. But uh, they're very resourceful. Well, I have many friends and acquaintances who teach in the charter system, just family and friends. And so I see, I see it, I hear it. I am sometimes in their classrooms and we volunteered through Rotary to go to classrooms with the, we have the Josh Yowder program and we go teach the safe water techniques. And so I get to see the classrooms and um, I see what the teachers do. And there are people that will look at them and say, I would never do this. Well, guess what? That's why. You would never do this. There are people that, my mom retired and we can't get her out. Right. Like, that's what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. And if you're called for it, like you were saying, you're, that, that intervention and you're put in place. If you're called to it, please go do it. it you'll be all right. Mm -hmm. I, know, I know you're not making the big bucks. But guess what? You are. You are. You're, yeah. you're, you're. My mom has been so rewarded through her years of being an educator that she's good. She's fine. She's fine. But so you, did you go straight from Mississippi superintendent to here? Or was mm -hmm. it, okay. Yeah, I retired from Mississippi with 29 years, 17 years as superintendent. And then I applied for the job here. And we were fortunate enough to get the job. Uh, got another great experience living next to the Donleys on the Crooked Lake. Uh, we were able to get that three-bedroom for a year, and um, tremendous just the view and just the peace. That's not a bad place. And um, just having having the peace of it. And my wife actually said, I'm a doodle. Uh, I'm a, a, a doodler. Okay. And my wife was like, I had picked up the pad and started doodling again. And she goes, you know, that's the first time I've seen you pick that pad up and do that in a while. And uh, I said, well, it's... Um, I said I had to just feel some peace right now. And it's really hard for me to be away from my mother. Uh, my father died 20 years ago, but my mother is still uh, very active in Biloxi, and um, my daughter is there, my oldest daughter as well. But we travel back and forth from time to time yeah. and get to see each other. And, and my mother's been really good about it, but that's what mothers do. Uh, I'd love to be able to see her every day, but this is just the station of life that we're in. Yeah. And my children are thriving, and they're getting to experience a lot of things they wouldn't get to experience if we weren't here. I'm glad you said this is a station in life, because I actually, one of my thoughts was, is all of these things are seasons. I, I'm 
you know, none of us are, it's very rare that any of us stay in the same place forever and ever. And this is a season, and I'm not looking for a news bulletin, but what's the end goal for you in this position? My end goal is for this system to become a model system for the state of Florida because there's never been one. And we want to build the model charter system in the state of Florida. And if you do that, you can walk away. Well, I can. I probably won't because okay. I'm a lot like your mother. I'm a tireless educator. <laughs> uh, look, and it's crazy because... We can't keep giving her props like that, though. we got to stop. <laughs> but people, people, um, I, I tell people this all the time. I've told this to our board members. I'm not a peacock. I don't dress up in a three-piece suit and go to every convention that happens in Orlando and Tampa. Mm -hmm. I just don't do that. If I'm speaking, have a speaking engagement, typically, now I'm probably going to stay over one night the next time, but um, I typically drive in and drive out on the same day. When I was in Mississippi, I would go give the lunch speech at the Mississippi Association of School Superintendents luncheon with four or 500 people there. As I would walk in, because I'd been a superintendent for so long, people would say, the vendors would say, oh, Rudolph is here. He's either getting an award or he's giving a speech and he'll be leaving right after he's done. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I would go in, get my speeches, and leave. The only time that I would stay over is if I had like three different speeches to give over two days. Then it would be very practical. But there was a time when I would drive up three hours for a lunch meeting to speak, get in the car and drive right back home. Because I didn't want to be away from where I was. And it's, it's the same thing here. I want to be here in the district so I can yeah. help. And there's just so much work to be done constantly. Building this early childhood element this year mm -hmm. is a challenge. So. Uh, we're going to get that done, though, uh, in, in, in the time that we have allotted for it. Right. But it's just, it's non-existent right now at the le where it's, we've got to bring people together. Mm -hmm. It's all about building a team. And that's a coalition across Lake Wales. Well, I would be remiss. I mean, the whole point of this was is the, the, the reading. I wanted to talk to you about that. But I'd be remiss if, I'd, if we didn't touch on the four books on the table and if we didn't touch on the Read 20. Um, right. You can go whichever direction you want on that because I, that was something that my wife and I thought was neat. I started reading books on YouTube. I'm not going to lie. I haven't been perfect. We're going to get started back on that again because I think it's fun to read to the kids. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it's an, it sounds so simple, and it really is. If you pick up a book for adults, there's... Uh, Andy Frisella, who's uh, he's a CEO guy, and he's like, read 10 pages of a book. If you really think about, if you read 10 pages in a business book a day, you're, you're at 20 minutes. It's really, it's not a big deal. That's 1.4% of your day. So I'll go back to the, first of all, gut check was the first thing I ever wrote. Okay. Now, the thing about it is, is I don't capitalize on anything that I write, and part of that is uh, lacking the confidence to think it's good enough. But the other part is that I want to help as many people as I can to get better at whatever it is they want to do. And if I have knowledge of it, I'm going to produce something that mm -hmm. can help you with it. So the Gut Check Training System is the book that I wrote, and it was copyrighted in 1995 or 94. But it basically, and the forward's written by my junior college coach, George Sequel, who's now deceased. Actually, when I went to his funeral, his family wasn't aware, and I was friends with his daughters. They were at college the same time as I was. They weren't aware he had written the forward for my book. So I gave him a copy of the forward whenever I went to really? the funeral in Biloxi and, and on the point. But basically, this book has three 48-week workouts. There's a three-day workout, a four-day workout, and a five-day workout. But I wrote this while I was training my athletes in Mississippi at 
St. Martin High School. Okay. So this is online. I have a digital bookshelf online if you go to my uh, website. Mm -hmm. And it's on there. It's downloadable, but I give it away for anyone that wants to work with their children. Uh, Twisted Cross was a book that I wrote for my father. Um, he died before he ever got a chance to read it, but I wrote this book. It's a Western novella. It's 94 pages, but it's very much in the vein of the Louis L'Amour style. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit more on the edge of Tyler Sheridan, <laughs> Taylor Sheridan now, because it is a little edgy in spots, but it's, it's about a uh, Indian who loses everything, and it's about a white man who loses his whole family in the region, and they team up, and it becomes a quest through the wilderness, but there's a good backstory. But anyway, so I wrote a novella just to write it. My uncle's read it, and I and basically I'll produce a paper copy for myself just as a keepsake for my kids. Yeah. The next thing, though, that um, we built a pathway in uh, Career Pathways, and we're working on that here, too. I've actually worked with our chamber uh, and our um, uh, Economic Development Foundation because we want to build in um, Career Pathways. This is a book where 50 of our graduates from the Pasco Goche School District were mm -hmm. interviewed, and we interviewed them. But the unique thing about it is, and we built these books ourselves within our district with our personnel. I was in every interview. Okay. We wrote it. But this is Sarah Thomas. Yes. She's actually a Super Bowl yeah. uh, referee. She went to Pasco High School. Really? So this is all alumni. Vic Ballard, who is roommates with Andrew Luck at Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in the book, and Vic and I talked this weekend. I wrote him a letter for uh, to get into graduate school uh, for engineering. But he's a former NFL alumni, played for five years, four or five years with the Colts. Uh, got injured, but uh, he's since becoming uh, got his undergrad in engineering, and now he's working on his next level. He was with the NFL PA for a while. The other thing that we do, and I've got several of these. You can see them back there. But we built. Um, um, our business and industry profiles with all mm. the different things we did. This is all original work here. And we did interviews. That's Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman right there. I was on his education committee for two years in Mississippi. Okay. Um, and he and I, he actually wore a Read 20 shirt for me uh, to promote Read 20 out of Mississippi. But uh, and that's Delbert and I walk into our Family Interactive Center. But we basically interviewed 100 different business and industries to talk about what are the qualities you look for in an employee. Ah. And then we built an employment rubric from that for our students so that they would have an employment rubric in every single classroom in our district. I like that. And so that's another aspect that's cool. of it. That's actually Vic right there. Um, but we interviewed a wide range of people um, from all over the country. So, um, and then we built the pathways, which are three different pathways we built with all of our program. And we had the number one set of pathways in Mississippi yeah. uh, because we had so many offerings. I'm working towards that now. And that's just now I ordered three new programs in the high school. So you have now 10 pathways in the high school mm -hmm. that you can utilize. And the is doing a phenomenal job at that. We've also brought in the seal of biliteracy. So if you have a student who uh, can speak two languages proficiently, mm -hmm. then there's a seal that goes on your diploma, the Florida Seal of Biliteracy. We created the Seal of Biliteracy in Mississippi in my school district, but in, uh, then the state adopted one. And then um, we have that, and we do the ACT work keys here now, which gives you different uh, level credentials for workforce. Okay. It's a byproduct of the ACT. This is the work side of it. It's called the work keys. And so you have different platinum, gold, silver, uh, bronze. And so 
children get different categories, but they get a workplace credential to go with it. So mm -hmm. we incorporated that last year here. So there's a lot of those things that we're getting started. Uh, the difference here is in Mississippi, I had a full team that I could say, hey, this is what we're going to work on. And so I could assign things here. It's a little different because I don't yeah. have as big of a team. So I have to do a lot more of the legwork myself. So it's not happening as fast as we would like it to okay. happen. Um, as it relates to READ20, I've had reading programs forever. I don't know if you've seen any of the back data on Mississippi. But early childhood was something we implemented. The guy who wrote the legislation or helped to write the legislation for early childhood in Mississippi actually was a chairman of my Excel by Five committee. That's zero to five-year-old education. Mm -hmm. Where the Dolly Parton Library we brought in, we built the Family Interactive Center, uh, which was an old African-American high school that we actually had 17 sponsors take different rooms. So it's very much like the Children's Museum that they have over in Lakeland mm -hmm. now. Not at that same level of modernization, but yeah. we had a veterinary clinic, we had a STEM room, we had a, a room with peers and boats in it for kids. So. Uh, that was something else we did. But going into Read 20, uh, we have 64 business book partners. That's okay. people who have books in their lobby for children to read while their parents are doing their business at that particular place. Our goal is to get to 100. <clears throat> of course, you know Chef Grady Judd has helped us multiple times. He took a picture for us. Chief Velasquez has. Our fire department has. So we're really happy about that. We stand in front of grocery stores. Yeah. with the big signs and give books out to people. I've had two people refuse books out of all the people we've given books to. Hey, you know, it's like being a stand-up comedian. Yeah. If you don't want it, that's fine. But the little kids want the books, you know, and there's, we're not. It, the problem you have is most people think you're soliciting them, and we're, right. we're just giving away free resources to children. Um, <clears throat> of course, we've done the 1,000 home visits. We've done about 143 this summer already. Uh, going into the school year. I'm a little bit slowed down now because Dr. Aceveda is uh, the interim principal at the middle school until we hire a permanent principal at the middle school. Uh, but READ20, the, the, the key to that is a lot of people were confused last year about what am I actually trying to do because you, seen, you would see pictures on the internet of Big Ballard who's in Georgia you would see Al Sparkman, who's at the Little Bighorn in Wyoming. And I thought it's just super cool that he's reading Nathaniel Hillbrick, yeah. uh, Hill, uh, Hill, Hillbrick's um, Last Stand at the Little Bighorn. Yeah. And uh, he's in 30 below degree weather wearing a Lake Wells shirt uh, doing this picture for me. And he had to drive an hour to get there in the snow. But he did that for me because he believes in the literacy thing. Yeah. Joe Morales, if you look back on the, the Lufkin paper, mm -hmm. that was actually an article in the paper about our Read 20 campaign here. They took it to elderly homes for people to okay. read to elderly people. So my point is, we traveled 100,000 miles one way with an idea, all the way to Japan, all the way to Africa, England, uh, France, all these different far locations. And that's from one idea from one person. And we covered 100,000 miles. When I'm looking out at a crowd of 500 educators, 300 teachers, 200 support personnel, and I say to them, if one person can get an idea to travel 100,000 miles, imagine what 500 people can do in a 20.2 mile yeah. area of Lake Wales. Yeah. We have to focus on Lake Wales. Yeah. And I'm not focusing on anything but Lake Wales this year. Last year, I wanted to prove a point that I could get this with my team everywhere. This year, it's here. 
and I need all of you to make a commitment to literacy because literacy is the foundation for all other education. Yeah. And so that was the point. And it took a year to prove the point. I spent a substantial amount of my own money to do it. Doesn't bother me a bit because it's my passion. But we were basically, I was mailing out a shirt every other day. Over 100 shirts all over the country. Yeah. Uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, Alaska. There was a guy named Mr. Epkus. He actually would have to take boats and planes from village to village in Alaska. And he actually did a Read 20 testimony oh, that's for awesome. us. That's so, awesome. But when you think about it, it's, um, it's just literacy is a, ch is a challenge for all of us in America. Yeah. And we've become so dependent on using poor grammar, poor English, so many ways we communicate on social media that's not adequate for a learner. And so I'm trying to bring it back to the fundamentals of just helping children learn to read. And, and that's, that's what Read 20 is. Um, and I think that is, if you're good with it, I would love to, like you said, potentially sit down each quarter and talk about something that's going on. Mm -hmm. And today I'm, I'm so happy I got to learn who Dr. Rodolfich is. And I think for a lot of us, we don't know. We just see this person pushing this initiative. Right. We don't know what that initiative came from. And I think you gave us that opportunity today to tell us. And finishing up with Read20 is something that that's kind of the, 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 the keystone, capstone of this. So I would love to, in a quarter, after maybe the first nine weeks, sit down yeah. and say, like, where are we at? And sit down and do a 30-minute, let's talk about something and, yeah. and do it again. Well, and my, and my little kids, Jonna, Mila, Zanna, and Ben, mm -hmm. along with Brianna and Rosie, my granddaughter, um, they're just incredible human beings. And being an older parent now, because I'm 56 years old with these children, um, I have so much more appreciation for the impact that we as parents have on our children. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just trying to get parents to have a better relationship with their children and reading is one way for that to happen. And it's a simple and they enjoy it. The yeah. kids enjoy it. It's because you're giving them attention. Yes. And I learned that from uh, Mr. Cambern in Florida. I was at a get-together in Florida, and my daughter Brianna was with me. And I was trying to have an adult conversation, and she was just tugging and tugging and tugging. And this man's probably 20 years older than I am, and I'm in my 40s. And I, and I was like, Brianna, honey, can you just, and the, and the man grabs me by the shoulder, just the wisdom, puts his hand on my shoulder. She goes, she just wants you to pay attention to her. And I was like, man, you're going to yeah. choke me up. But yeah. uh but I mean, that's the thing. Our kids just want us to pay attention to them, yep. make them relevant. Um, so that's that's an important part of it. My kids drive everything I do. I want them to be proud. So. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. I have taken a lot of it, but I appreciate it, and I look forward to doing it again. And it has been an honor to sit down with you and hear your story. Yeah. And uh, thank you for being on the Beyond the Curve, the Curiosity Podcast. And uh, this will be up on YouTube. It'll be on all your podcast platforms. And you are more than welcome to use this material for your benefit and for the kids' benefits. Okay. But thank you so much. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Yes, thank sir. you. Thank um, you.